guys. It's a good day of the amazing rings. So I tried to turn this on this time. It is on this time. Um, I'm terrible at that. Um, wait, uh, a great day of the amazing rings. Uh, I'm excited about where we're headed tonight. And here's the thing, I have a fun, I do have a funny Tony was a kid story um, that I'm gonna share. I love I love to open up talks with kind of goofy stories where they make fun of themselves. But before before I get there, so here's the deal. Uh, I'll, I'll tell a goofy, funny story about myself right away. But can you give me three minutes? Okay. Three, three I gotta turn my mic on, and now there we go. Um, whoa, hey, hello. Sorry. Voice of Tony. Okay, there we go. Um, so give me can, can you give me three minutes? And then funny story. Can we do that? Yeah. Is that a lot? So you got, okay, good. Three minutes. You guys know, you guys know the, the end of the Marvel movies? How they like the post-credit scene? You guys know what I'm talking about? This is like a post-credit scene from last night's talk, okay? Post-credit scene, boom, sequel tonight. Um, that's kind of how we're doing this. So last night, who, who, what, are we, what are we talking about last night, real quick? Tools of obedience, right? Who, what were the tools of obedience? Scripture. <laughs> Speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues, apparently. Okay, so we talked about we talked about scripture as a tool of obedience. We talked about the Word of God. We talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about fellowship. There are others, but those are the ones that we focused on. And here's my three minutes. I'm trying to keep this three minutes. Just a little bit of a postscript, a little bit of a clarification to to address. And by the way, I had a good conversation, a few good conversations with Paul Rainon today. And Jeremy and help me get some clarification for how I wanted to communicate this. So, so most of you had two, two possible reactions to last night's kind of conversation on, on these tools of obedience. Um, some of you said, you know what, I really, this is nice, but I don't really care to, to do these things. I don't really want to read my, I don't really want to pray. So I'm not going, I'm sorry, like I want to be a Christian, but I just don't want to do that stuff. Um, that's one reaction that some of you may have had. Others of you are saying, well, now I know what to do. Great. Now I'm excited, inspired. Now I know what to do. I'm going to go do this thing, okay? And most of you are like, oh, yeah, that's where I was. Now I want to go do this stuff. Both of those reactions, um, especially one while it seems right, um, are, are, are both about you. <laughs> both are focused on you uh, and not on Christ. So the question is, how, how, do, how should we take last night? How should we take this conversation on tools of obedience and really, and, and look at it in an appropriate way, in a helpful way. Um, and, here, and here's how I'm, I'm wording it. This was from help from other people as well. When I use this term, tools of obedience, uh, what I was trying to get after, obviously, is these things that we have that the Lord supplies that help us to, to understand obedience towards him. Um, but these tools, another word for these tools, that are probably a more theological word that, that, that is a good term to use, are, are what I'm going to call means of grace. And why are they called means of grace? And why is that so important that I'm bringing it up again tonight? Well, here's why. These tools of obedience, prayer, scripture, uh, the Holy Spirit, fellowship, um, these tools are actually means of grace, which, this is important, which the Lord, by his grace, imparts to us. And in the Lord imparts, shows, works grace within us, not tools that we use to get closer to God, Right? It would have been really easy last night for us to walk away and feel good about, now I've got these tools and I can get closer to God, which seems great. But I want to make sure that we define these tools we looked at last night more appropriately is this idea of the means of grace that God uses, tools that God uses to work out and lead us in grace and uh, imparting his grace to us. Uh, and the reason for that, the reason that th what happens with that is really, well, well, the reason that's important is it makes us remember and realize that obedience to the Lord and using these tools, it's not about this stuff with our hands and trying harder. It's about the heart. My wife helped me with this today. Actually, me and my wife talked about this today. Obedience stems from a heart that loves and desires Jesus. And so if we want to really use these tools, we must begin by asking the Lord in his grace, in his using these tools that he's given us to turn our hearts of stone and rebellion and, and stubbornness against those things and turn these hearts of stone into flesh. We, meet, we need a transformed heart by the grace of the Lord to even think about using these tools. The way I wrote it is spiritual disciplines, what we looked at last night, they're actually about needing God more for our obedience instead of needing him less and using our own gifts. And, and so while I want to make sure that I'm really clear about these things, the, the tools we talked about last night are definitely things that we do. We, we, we pray. 
We, we open our Bibles. We read scripture, right? We, we, we pray and ask the Spirit to move. We pursue fellowship. There's certainly things that we do. The Lord and his grace is the one that makes us love and desire scripture and prayer and fellowship in his grace. So that whole illustration about the, the runner, the video we showed of the runner who's trying hard. The last thing I wanted to do is send you guys out with this trying and trying. Now, I've got, now I can try and try with this list of tools that Tony I want to redirect and remember that these tools are not about this whole idea of going back to myself, but they're actually, they drive us back to this idea of, of the Lord being a gracious Lord, who the Lord is using these tools and these means of grace to impart and, and transform our hearts and change them to want to, to do these things more and love him more. Does that, does that help at all? Is that clear? Okay, two people thought so. Great. Oh, okay. Um, thank you, thank you for, for hearing me out there. I, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into to where we're going tonight, which is the idea of joy of obedience. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you. Lord, Lord, I just want to thank you that you're good even when things uh, are really hard. Uh, and even when um, we're overcome with our sin and overcome with the sin and the evil of the world. Somehow your gospel, somehow the work of Jesus, Lord, you have brought us by your grace to, to joy. And being in a relationship with a holy, wonderful, loving God in a world like this is, is joy. It doesn't always feel like it. Uh, and obedience is sometimes really, really hard and frustrating, and it, it illuminates just our depravity. But, Lord, you've called us to a calling of joy. And I just pray tonight we would get that joy. We, we, would, we would feel and see that joy that it is to follow you and know you and answer your call. Help us to feel that tonight and the rest of this week as well. We pray this in all of our lives as well, Lord. pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, thanks for hearing me out on that little after credit scene. Um, so here's a story. Here's a story. Uh, tonight, by the way, before we do get into the story, tonight, by the way, we're talking about the joy of obedience and calling. Uh, and to set that up, uh, here, here we go. Sixth grade, who had a really awesome sixth grade year? Oh, really? Okay, so that's more than I thought. Who had a really awkward sixth grade year? Bingo. Um, sixth and seventh grade year are usually super awkward. Eighth grade year usually is, seventh grade year is super awkward. Um, seventh grade year happened to be the year that I, I kind of got popular for like a moment. Um, and that went away quickly again. Um, but uh, that's okay. Uh, but sixth grade year, I was, uh, man, uh, I wish I had a picture. Uh, you're going to change the back. Okay, this is, uh, speaking of awkward. Um, so, <laughs> um, so sixth grade year, um, I, I was about as awkward as you get. My mom still curled my hair for me. Um, and my, my, my dad still bought me my clothes. So my sixth grade picture is this picture where I have like the side cut, like just like like really combed, really straight and fine over like this right over here. And I had jacked up teeth. I didn't get braces yet. So it, my, my, my picture, I was like, it's like this weird mom cut going on. My, I, no, I did. I couldn't find it. I'm, I'll try to find it tonight on my laptop and see if I can show it to you tomorrow. But I had this like striped purple shirt with triangles on it. I was, in, um, but in sixth grade year, our, our class did this huge, huge event. There was a Renaissance. Has anybody done a Renaissance fair before? It was this huge, like all day. They really blew it up. They wanted to make it this big, massive. The entire sixth grade wing in my, my middle school, Rockwood South Middle School, was a Renaissance fair. And because it was a renaissance fair, every student in the sixth grade wing had a role. You had a job. And they, they transformed, they literally transformed our entire, excuse me, sixth grade wing into this beautiful renaissance-looking area. Like, they, they taped over all the walls and put posters in the walls, and they made, like, cobblestone streets and all. Every classroom was, like, the toy maker's place. And, like, the Smith's place. What are the Smith's? What do they call that? The, the sword, swordsmith, the Smith's. Uh, the swordsmith's place. Uh, and all these, all these really cool places. And I just, they, they, they dished them out. You, you could, like, put in your favorites, and then they chose for you. And, of course, duh. I wanted to be, like, a knight, right? I wanted to be a knight. I wanted to be a soldier. I wanted to be this awesome dude in this, like, cool, strong, like, armor and a sword. And I knew, I, like, told all the teachers, I want to be a knight. Make me a soldier. You know? And so I knew I was going to be it. Uh, and I remember my, my math teacher told me, I couldn't stand my math. Her name was Mrs. Fotinos. Uh, I called her Mrs. Doritos because, of course, I did. Um, that's a whole other story that I can't get into right now. Um, I may or may not have thrown broccoli in her hair one day, but that's another story. Um, 
So Mrs. Bocinos tells me what I am in the Renaissance Fair, and I was like, I'm going to be a soldier. Uh, and she's like, tell me, you're a toy maker. <laughs> um, and so, so I had two reactions, okay? I had two reactions to this. One, one was, this is stupid. Uh, I don't want to be a toy maker. Uh, and, and I had that reaction because I wanted the Renaissance Fair to be all about me, okay? I had my ideas for what it should be and what I wanted it to be, uh, and, and being a toy maker was not it. It didn't fit my individual, what I wanted. So I, I got mad. Uh, but then, but is this working now, Paul, by the way? Great. Um, but then, no, I didn't want to be a dentist. Uh, I wasn't in Rudolph. Um, um, I got the reference, very good. Uh, but, but, and then, but then I had a reaction. I'm like, well, you know what? If I want to be a toy maker, I'm the best darn Renaissance Fair toy maker out there. Um, so I decided that I was going to do all these things right, and I was going to like blow everybody away. I was going to like do all these little things right about my outfit and the way that I acted and like, the little props that I brought. And I was going to be this like over the top awesome toy maker, and I was going to do all these things. And I never listened to the grand vision for what the Renaissance Fair is supposed to be, which is here's what you do, here's what you're supposed to be, here's how you dress, here's what the guys need to dress as, the, you know, you don't need to go too over. I didn't listen to any of that stuff. I didn't care about the grand vision of the Renaissance Fair. I cared about what I wanted to do. And if I wasn't going to be a soldier, then I was going to be this awesome. I had all these ideas. And so what did my, here's my mistake. I went to my mom. Oh. <laughs> By the way, guys, don't, don't hear. All the moms are like, what? Um, so hold on. It's, it's a good thing to go to your mothers. Do that. Uh, but, but here's what. I went to my mom like, mom, mom. So I'm sixth graders. So my voice has to be wrong. Mom, mom. Um, <laughs> literally. Can you make me a toy maker? <laughs> um, it's my mom, and, my, and Caroline knows, but my, my mom has an idea. She's going to, like, blow it out of the water. So, uh, so my mom went to work, okay? And my mom got this outfit, and she spent, like, a whole week, like, putting all these things together. So the night before the Renaissance Fair comes around, and I'm like, all right, where's this outfit? Where's this thing? Okay. I'm not kidding. I, I, I'm not. Everything I'm to tell you, I did not make up. Uh, so my mom's like, well, the Renaissance. I looked up Renaissance wear and all this stuff, and here's what I came up with. And she basically... She basically breaks out this blue thing um, that, that, I'll just paint the picture quickly for you, basically is like these big buttons down the front, and you know the big billowy shoulders, the Renaissance thing? And then it, and it kind of had a sleeve that stopped right here, kind of, and then it came down, and then, and then it, like a lot of Renaissance, it stopped right here. And there, it wasn't pants, legs as much as it was a dress. Um, so literally six, think about sixth grade folks. Sixth grade Tony's mom hands him and says, go to school tomorrow in a dress. <laughs> and I'm a sixth grade nerd, so I'm like, I'm gonna be the best toy maker ever, yay! Like, sure, I'll wear a dress. That didn't end there. Then she's like, I also found you a hat. <laughs> she found me like one of those like painter type hat things, like a little feather thing that was here, like a little tassel that came out. Uh, and then, I'm embarrassed to even say it. Then she's like, well, you know, Renaissance people, they didn't just have the, they had to have their legs right. And so she gave me stockings. Yeah! Woo! <laughs> Not any stockings, black sheer stockings, and let's just be honest, they were pantyhose. <laughs> He dies laughing. <laughs> he literally just 
entire time. Um, the story goes on. I, I, go, I, I go to school essentially like the worst day of my life. Um, because I get to school and all the guys, even the guys that are like other toy makers, all they're wearing are like, like art smocks and sweatpants. <laughs> and they have like toys with them, right? That's all they're doing. And who are these guys in these awesome armor soldiers? They like walk by and I'm like, I hate you. You know, want a toy? You know, I'm just that guy. And so the end of the day, I think I'm out of it. And I, and I go back to my bus. This, has nothing, this part of the story has nothing to do with where I'm going, but it's funny. Um, so I walk out, and there's, and, and my middle school, when buses picked up kids, they lined up in two rows, like, like a row of like eight buses and like another row of eight buses. So if you had to get to your bus, was in the second row, you had to walk in between all the buses. Um, so here's Tony, in case you didn't catch me on the way in, uh, every student in the whole middle school is in one of these buses. And my bus is in the very back of the second row. So I had to walk in a blue dress and pantyhose through this gauntlet of yellow buses with people literally above me in windows staring down at me. It was like, it was like the Hunger Games, right? It was in the Hunger Games when they like go to the Capitol and the, and the outfits, everybody's like looking at them. Instead of wearing like a really cool, studly, flaming outfit, I'm wearing a blue dress and pantyhose. Um, and, and Shane Boofer, who was our school bully, Shane Boofer comes and he knocks me into the side of the bus and takes my two like blue booties and he throws them in two other buses. <laughs> I gotta go get them. And so I come home in tears and I, I call my mom. And I just remember, this is, kids don't say this to your mother ever, but I remember calling my mom and tears. Mom, I hate you! <laughs> you ruined my life! <laughs> um, and so that's my Renaissance fair story. Um, now, it would be, thank you. Um, uh, it, it, now, it would be really terrible that story had nothing to do with tonight, but it does. Um, here, here's why I tell the story. Uh, here's why I tell the story. First, it is funny. You get to know me a little bit. Um, and you get to make fun of me a little bit. But, but here's why. Uh, the Renaissance Fair was this, this actually really cool event that I never actually got to enjoy. Um, I remember going to seventh grade or eighth grade. I never got to really, really soak it in and enjoy it in my sixth grade year uh, because I was so focused on being ticked off that it, I didn't even do what I wanted to do. Uh, and also, I was so focused on me doing the right things all the time. For, like, I, I, gotta, I, gotta have all these, I didn't listen to what the teachers were telling me. I wasn't listening to what the, the, the vision of what the Renaissance Fair was supposed to be. I was so stuck on myself all the time uh, that I missed the big vision of it because of I've been a fool of myself. Um, and, and I think that we make those two mistakes often as when we start thinking about obedience and what it means to follow God, is we either hear things that God is calling us to, to obedience, and, and we either say, like, well, that's, like, I'm not getting my, that's not the way that I would do it, that's not the way that I think it, so that's dumb, I don't want to do it that way. I don't think it should be this way, I don't want to do that. And so, boo, like, like I kind of did, like, if I can't be a soldier, I, I didn't get my way, so I'm upset. Or, in our obedience, we can get so focused on doing all the right. I was so focused on, on making sure I was doing everything right that I didn't hear what the, the global vision for this Renaissance Fair was, and I made huge mistakes. And so I was so focused on me and doing all these things right, I never put my head up and listened to, like, what is everybody else doing? What is, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't say that I've, like, followed the, the crowd. That's not, that's not what I mean by that. I mean, what is, what is the vision? What is the picture? What is the direction of what everybody else is supposed to be doing? Let me hop on, let me jump onto that. I said I was just, I was narrow-minded, I was, I was tunnel-visioned. What do I want it to look like? What do I want it to be? How, how can I make it perfect? And I missed it, and everything went haywire. I think we often, in our approach to obedience, we come up with this ritualistic, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to be doing right now? What are the ten things, again, I go to a conference, what are the ten things that I need to be doing? And we never put our head up and say, Lord, what are you calling your people to do? We try to figure out what are the things that I have to be doing right now to make Tony Howard better. And, and, and when we're doing that, all we're doing is staring at ourselves and we're never asking the Lord, what are you calling me and the church to do? And, and this is the way I wrote it. Instead of finding joy in being a part of something bigger than us, instead of me finding joy in just being a part of this really cool renaissance fair, uh, I was ticked that it didn't go my way. That it wasn't what I wanted to be. And I got caught up in doing everything right and stole joy from being part of this big, really cool, amazing thing. 
And, and I think we as Christians get caught up in doing this Christian thing right. And like, I got to do this thing right because Tony gave me these, these tools yesterday. And I got to do those things right. And my, my youth leader here, Tony, I got to do this stuff right. And when we do that, we don't see the obedience that actually God is calling us to. Which is not to have, again, this list of I got to do this stuff right, keeping our head down on it, like I am right now looking at my notes. Um, but, but putting our head up and saying that God calls us to something much bigger than God has what's called, the, the, the uh, scripture calls his call, his call for all Christians, and calls for us individually. Today, we're going to talk about calling, and I'm going to talk about calling in a way that it's the joy of obedience. Why? We need to bring this up at some point. This week. Why, why is it worth it to be obedient? Why is it worth it to obey the word of the Lord? And I believe truly that there is a purpose and a reason and joy, unthinkable joy, unparalleled joy that comes with pursuing obedience. And we're going to talk about why is following and why is obeying joyful today. We're going to look at what that means. You guys know the story of uh, the rich young ruler? Uh, it's, in, it's in Matthew, I believe, 19. Remember the rich young ruler? I'm, I'm going to do a brief, brief part of the story. Essentially, the, the rich young ruler is this man that comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? In other words, show me the end game. What do I have to do right now to, to get this heaven stuff I've been hearing about? And Jesus says, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who does good. If you in your life, keep the commandments. And, and the, the man says, Well, which ones? And then Jesus goes through the commandments. You shouldn't murder. You don't, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what the young man does? The young man says, well, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? So this man's literally like, yeah, I've looked at all these things that I'm supposed to do. How, how have I done these things? And Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. The young man heard that and went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Why I tell the story now is essentially this. This guy approaches Jesus and says, look, I've done all this stuff. The way to get to you, the way, what I need to do to follow you is all these commitments. Look, I've done them. What else do I need to do? And Jesus basically says, There's, it's, it's not about doing all these little things. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger life-altering, life-transforming uh, mission of, of God's people, the type of people that are God do what I'm calling you to, and you still don't get it because you're caught up in this list and these rules. The people of God are willing to sell whatever they, they have to, to follow Christ because they get his mission. They get his call. They get that all of life is about knowing and loving and, and following him. And this man just turned into doing this stuff. And Jesus said, you don't, you haven't put your head up and looked at me and said, what, let me follow you. What is your mission? I think that, that we also miss that. And when we miss that, we miss the joy of what it means to be a Christian in many ways. We miss the joy of what it means to be obedient. God is calling each and every one of you individually and us corporately, meaning all of the church, every Christian in all the world. God is calling us into a grand calling that is his mission in all the world. God has a mission. God has a goal. God has a big thing that he is doing in all the world, and he has called all of us to be a part of it in this great, wonderful uh, mission of all of God's people. And we're going to talk about what that mission is tonight and what does it mean to answer that call to obedience. In other words, obedience is not, what are all the good things that I need to do as a Christian until Jesus comes back or I die? That, that is not obedience. Obedience is surrendering ourselves to his transforming spirit that will move us to a purpose for his mission. What obedience is is saying, Lord, I surrender myself to you and your goodness and your grace and your will and your mission in all this world, and I want to be a part of it. I want to get wrapped up and taken up and to be a part of what you're doing in this world. We miss that because we just turned it into Jesus died for our sins and went to heaven. He left us these things to do. If we do those things well, we can go and be with him when the, when the world's done. And, and know that what's completely missing from that equation is the Lord right now has an amazing, amazing mission that he's doing in this world. And he has called you to be obedient, to be a part of it. And there's joy 
in that mission. So what, what is this calling? What is this calling? We often are still attached to worldly inspired callings that are usually driven by what you want today. What do I want to do today? What, what, what's my, what, 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 is, what do I want to do? What is the world telling me that I should be doing? And that's usually what we mistaken for calling. That's what I'm called to do. I was attached to that, and that's the story of the Renaissance Fair. Uh, and we often still do that today. We miss this calling of God. So what is this idea of calling? What does it to do with obedience? And why does it matter? I'm going to talk real quickly about two different types of, of calling. I can't get into calling a whole lot of time, but two different types of calling we're going to talk about today. Primarily, we're going to talk about this. General calling. General calling is God's calling for all Christians. It's God's calling to what the church, what all of us as professing Christians, professing disciples, professing followers, professing people that want to be obedient to his way and will. General calling is saying what all of us are called to do and be in this world, to be transformed into being. Then there's individual calling, which is going to be individual things of the Lord because he has gifted you and he's made you in a specific and individual and perfect and unique way. Your individual calling is what God is calling you particularly and uniquely to be because of the way that he shaped you. So one thing I don't want us to, to get wrong here is that God has made all of these just kind of general blank Jesus clones or, or, or God clones and drones that are all supposed to just be the same and look the same and do the same thing. There is a general calling that we're all in the same boat together, all going in the same direction, this mission of God. But we've also all been given unique and specific callings that get wrapped up in this, this, this mission. And so those are the two things that we're going to be talking about tonight. And I'm, all I'm going to do tonight really is this. It's three, I'm going to look at three general callings, and I'm going to bring out some individual callings. We're going to talk about why is it joy to be obedient to God's call? Why should you care about being obedient to God's call in life? God's, God's call to be obedient. And why, why actually is it joy? The first one we're going to look at um, is this one. The first, the first general call that we're going to look at for God's people is this one. Matthew 22. It's called the, great, the greatest commandment. The great commandment. So we're looking at obedience. At some point this week, we should look at what, what Christ calls the greatest commandment. And it's in Matthew 22. Uh, and it's essentially this. It's love God, love others. Love God, love others. And, and I always want to point something out before we, we get too deep into this. Isn't it cool that in the, in, in the Bible, which so many people write off as this list of rules that I've got to do, the greatest commandment in that book of rules that you've got to do is to love people? <laughs> Isn't it cool that the greatest commandment, the greatest call that, that Jesus kind of put forth is to love? That is a God that I would want to follow, and I do. It's a God that says, Here, here's the most important, if you forget all the rest of them, here's the one to remember, love, right? And that's in Matthew 22. Jesus says this, You shall love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And secondly, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In this passage, Jesus is talking to Pharisees who are really caught up in doing, like kind of that whole idea of putting your head down and doing everything right. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to these law keepers, these law abiders, who believe that those that do the law, and you see that as their righteousness, is the way to get to God. And he's saying, you've missed it. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord and love Others. And as we talk about obedience, guys, this, this commandment should set you free. This commandment, for those of you that are already feeling stuck in this whole, like, oh, well, last night Tony looked at this list of things to do, kind of, that's how it felt. This is a commandment that should set you free. The greatest commandment is not a thing that you have to remember to do for 20 minutes a day, even though most of us as Christians default to that being the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is you shall have your 20-minute quiet time for and if you don't, you should feel kind of guilty about it that day because you're spiritual. That's what many of us turn into this idea of the greatest commandment. And instead, Jesus says, no, I want to set you free. And it's not something you've got to remember to do. It's something that you are. The greatest commandment is something that you are. Something that you must go to God and say, transform me into somebody that loves you and loves others. I mean, what a great commandment. Love stuff. Like, that's a really amazing and freeing thing to be told by the Lord. And, and part of having an obedient faith, I don't want you guys to get this. Part of having, when we think of faith, okay, when we think of faith, we think of, of, of being convinced in my mind that something is true, right? So 
I've got to, I've got to look at these things and think about these things and be convinced that they're true and then do them. Okay? Oftentimes, that's what we think faith is. And the Lord's knowing, no, part of having an obedient faith is having a faith, a belief, yes, that also knows and loves relationally. One of the things that it means to draw near to Jesus in faith is to know Jesus, to be familiar with Jesus, to be familiar with the Lord, and to love him. Before he unveils any list of things to do, Jesus says, essentially, do you love me? Will you love me and love other people well? It's a great, and if you miss this, if you miss this greatest connection, and don't, well, we talked about this in our leaders meeting this morning. If you don't start your foot with loving Jesus, then what are you obeying him for? And so the whole tools of obedience that we looked at last night, I want to preface all that with, do you love Jesus? Do you love the Lord? Do you love what God has done for you as his child? What does it mean to, to love others? Practically, what does it mean to love other people? Who would say they have a hard time loving certain people in their lives? I'm glad most of you raised your hands. Be awkward only two of you did. Um, the call to love others is a call that we breeze over really easily, but it's a, such a significant one. And, and the reason for that is part of the way that the Lord is changing and transforming this world with this church is by saying, the world will be moved to believe and know God. Non-Christians will truly be moved to, to see and love and want to draw near to God. Other nations, other peoples, other cultures will, will be interested in and, and peaked to want to understand who this God is when the people that do know him are loving him and loving people well. But when his people are condemning and judging and pointing fingers and holding their nose up at other people and actually disregarding God, the rest of the world, who God cares about very much, won't take much notice of them. God has a mission and a rescue plan, as we're going to look at in a moment, to redeem all things. And part of that rescue plan is to go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Going into all the world and sharing the gospel and bringing these people into the fold, bringing these people into the church of God. And if we are people that miss this, if when the rest of the world looks at Christians, looks at the church, and they see they don't really love their God much, and they don't really love each other much, they're not going to be very drawn to this mission, to this kingdom, to this sweeping amazing story of the Lord. And so, one of the general callings that we're called to, and actually the most, the greatest calling that we're called to, commandment, obedience that we're called to, is to ask ourselves, do I love my Lord? And do I love those around me? Not just those that are around me that are my friends, but do I love those that are difficult to love? Everyone in here, if we were completely honest, you could point out, you could make a list of the five, six people in this room that really annoy Five, six people in this room that you just don't want to be around, that you've judged, that you've looked at, that you've maybe even mocked or gossiped about in this camp. Maybe even today. Guys, the Lord is calling us to love, which means to consider those people, to respect those people, to care for those people, to honor, to treat those people with dignity and not with gossip, not with talk behind their back, not with mocking. Part of what it means to love others is to look at those that normally you would just simply want to just disregard. Do you love the least of these? Do you love those that are hard to love? Do you forgive others that have done wrong to you? Just as Christ has forgiven you. It is by this that the world will know that the Lord is real. When we show a love to one another that is unknown to the rest of the world, we show a love to our God and a love to other people that will make people stop in the street and say, what is that? I've never seen that kind of love. I've never seen that kind of respect. I've never seen someone treat someone that way. That is what will draw people to the gospel. Are we willing to share the gospel? Are we willing to overtly say, I love you and care about other people, and because you don't know the gospel, I want to share it with you. I want to build a relationship with you and talk to you about my faith. 
It's part of what it means to love the Lord, to get caught up in His mission, but also love other people as well. Why is this a joy? Why is this a joy? It's a call to love. It's a call to not be hateful. It's a call to not be vindictive. It's a call to not be jealous. It's a call to not be a jerk. It's a call to not be somebody that gossips. It's it's a call to love people. Why is is this calling? Why is this mission of God a joy? Because it's a joy to love. It's not a joy to look down on others and create cliques and, and, and hierarchies of people in this world. We're all so good at it. The call to God, God's general call to us, his greatest commandment, is a call to a relationship with him. It doesn't say the greatest first commandment is you shall serve the Lord your God with all your heart, which, by the way, is a true and good thing. We should serve the Lord. Serving the Lord is a wonderful thing, but it says love. The greatest commandment is a relational call to know me. Come under, sit down across the table with me and get to know me is what our God says to us. Is that a call tonight that, that gives you joy when you think about it? Do you love? Do you, another way to put do you desire and want a relationship with Christ. I know that sounds funny to say to a bunch of Christian leaders in a camp, but, but, but we can't overlook it. Do you desire and want a relationship with Christ? Or do you just want a religion to serve? The call of God, the mission of God, the beginning of the mission of God is to call people to himself who love him and want to know him. Who are the people in your life that you've been called to love that are if you're taking notes, either right now or later on tonight in Sloan, write down three or five names of people back home, maybe even in this camp, that maybe the Lord has called you to love that are hard to love. How can you grow in love towards the Lord and towards others? i got to keep moving so I don't go for like four hours tonight. Um, so the first general calling to a joy of obedience we've looked at is to love God and love others. The second call joy to obedience is to transform our world. This is what we're talking about, an individual calling a little bit. Revelation 21. Who's ever tried to read Revelation? Raise your hand. Let's get, let's get moving, get our blood flowing. Okay. Who's ever been confused by the book of Revelation? Yes, that's right. It can be a very confusing and hard book to read sometimes. And Revelation 21 is one of the most beautiful and wonderful and awe-inspiring chapters in all the Bible. Uh, it is a little, bit, a little bit more clear. God gets a little bit more clear in Revelation 21. And basically, this is what happens in general in, in uh, Revelation 21. God essentially pulls the curtain back, pulls the curtain back on this grand mystery, pulls this curtain back on this grand mission that He has been doing in the world, and we realize that that knowing and loving Jesus is not memorizing a bunch of Bible stories that you grew up with in Sunday school, right? That's not what it means to know the Lord. What it means to know the Lord is to understand what the Lord is doing right now in our world. And he pulls the curtain back, and he gives us the spoiler alert. This is how all things are going to end. This is my goal. This is how it's going to finish. And this is what he says. He who is seated on the throne, Jesus, he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold. I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. He wants you to remember it, for these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, don't think that the ending can go down any other way. This ending is going to be how it happens. I am going to make, in the midst of tears, in the midst of pain, in the midst of death, in the midst of evil, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of sin, in the midst of shame, in the midst of wanting to end my life because I can't take it anymore, we can hope and know that one day the Lord of all things will come and make all things new. And you know what's amazing about this call and amazing about this mission? It's actually happening right now. When Jesus came, started his ministry. He was putting a pole in the ground and saying, this starts now. The remaking and the renewing of this world, this creation, which is my father's world and not culture's world, which is my father's world and not Satan's world. I'm going to make it new and it starts now and it starts with me and it's going to start with my church. And today, in 21st 
2014, here we still are, and we are the church, and we have a call and a mission of God, which is to come alongside of the work of Christ and to transform our world and make all things new. He will be the perfecter and the author and the finisher of this work, but he has called the church, he has called us in a general grand calling to make all things new. Now, what does it mean to make all things new? Some of you have heard this passage before. I know Paul said he's talked about it before. If you were in Paul's seminar a couple nights ago, you also saw this idea in Colossians, where over and over again, it talked about this idea of all things, all things being, being made new. This idea of all things means what? Not some things, not these things, not spiritual things, but all things. And what does that mean? It means that this world, this physical place that God created, these trees, these mountains, these rivers, these beautiful things on this place that we call home. It's not going to be burned up and thrown away at the end of all things. But in fact, the Lord is remaking it and renewing it today with us, with the church. And one day, it will be made all new again. I, I, I don't know if, you, if you're against or for watching The Passion of the Christ. Um, I've seen it like twice. I decided at one point, I said, look, I don't want to watch it again. But it's a moving film. We all have these moments of if we watched that film, we were moved by. The part that just broke me down both times I watched it was actually these words uh, injected into, into the story of Christ's death. In this moment when Jesus, and if you remember, he, he's carrying the cross, and he's on the way to Calvary, and he breaks down. And it's this, this tear-jerking moment. And it's not, it's not in the Gospels. And that's okay. It's still, it's still showing true things about who Jesus is. And, 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 and he breaks down, and he falls down. His mother, the sweet picture of his mother running to him. She's coming to see her boy fall down. This Jesus, this king, is bleeding and broken and bruised and bloody. And he's falling down. And his mother's worried about him because she remembers her little baby falling down when he was a boy. And she helps him get up. And, and he looks her in the eye like the triumphant king that he is. And he looks her in the eye in this amazing moment. And he says, no. And, and he's literally he's bleeding. He's going to die. He's carrying a cross of the, the Calvary. And he looks at her because he knows because he's God. And he says, behold, mother. I am making all things new. Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection was beginning and starting and claiming a work of taking this broken place that we live and saying, I'm not throwing this stuff away. This isn't done. This isn't finished. This isn't Satan's. It's made new. And he's called you and I and all of us in our unique callings to bring will come alongside and see this world we made new today. Hallelujah that we have a king has not let this place go, but has come to make all things new. It's the goal of his call. Sometimes we think about the world this way. This is the way that I, I, I draw it. I know mean, it's hard to see. Sometimes we think of this. We live in this broken, sinful world, and one day Jesus will come back, and it'll be destroyed, and we can all go up into heaven and be with him. Great. But Jesus says, no. Because of how powerful my work is and what I call the church to today, this broken world will one day be new and redeemed. A new heavens and a new earth. That is what Christ is doing. That is what the church is a part of. That is the grand, great narrative story of Scripture is us being called to obedience to get caught up into this mission. Is, is that joyful? Yes, that's joyful. How can that not be joyful? Is that we are a part, God has called us in each of our little parts, each of our little desires, each of our skills, whether he's uniquely given us to go out into the world in different areas, not just the church, but in different places, whatever he's gifted you with, and to use your gifts as a way of saying, the Lord has gifted me to redeem this part of culture and the world. Abraham Kuyper put it this way. I can't, uh, Paul used this quote the other day, but I'm going to use it again, because dang, it's good. Um, Abraham Kuyper said it this way. There is not one square inch of the entire creation, meaning this physical world that we're on right now, in which Jesus Christ does not cry out, this is mine. This belongs to me. That should pump you up. That should fire us up that this place that we're in is not hell in a handbasket, going to die and burn one day. No, Jesus says, this is mine, not yours, Satan. This is mine. These people on it, they're mine too. And they're a part of the church. And I'm going to reclaim it. And they're a part of it. We're a part of this general calling mission. Why is that a joy? It's a call to make a difference in all spaces of our world. Guys, let me just make sure you know this. Your pastors and youth leaders and missionaries, they're not the only ones in this world that make a difference in the gospel. 
some of you, most of you, probably won't be called into church calling, ministry life. Maybe you will if you do, that's great. But many of you will be called to be engineers. Some of you will be called to be artists in the artist world. Some of you are going to be called to be managers of business. Some of you are going to be small business owners. Some of you are going to be people who run Target. Okay? Some of you are going to be doing all sorts of different things. And you know what? Every single one of those little places is a part of one of these square inches of our creation that needs Christians, needs the church in there to be changing it and redeeming it and, and loving God and loving others in a way where you're like, wow, that engineer is an engineer I've never seen before because that engineer is redeeming and renewing this idea of being an engineer. My wife's an engineer. And, and I, I, I'm bragging on her, I bragged on her a lot this week, and I don't care if she's awesome, but my wife's an engineer. And I believe that my wife is a part of the, the incoming kingdom and mission of God in this world as an engineer just as much as I am as a pastor of a church. And I believe that you go on to be a violin player, if you go on to be a professional football player, if you go on to be a, a, a music recorder, whatever it is that you go on to be. My mind's running out of jobs, even though there's millions more. But uh, it, whatever you go on to be, the Lord is using an individual calling in your life to go out into these square inches of creation. Garbage men glorify God. You know why? Because creation needs garbage men to pick up trash. And that's honoring and glorying to creation. Glory. Glorifying to God and his creation. We need trash picked up and done away with. If not, creation's going to get real ugly really fast. And garbage men, Christian garbage men can glorify and say, God has called me to this, and this is a part of this calling in the incoming kingdom. You, whatever you go on to do, do and be, is a part of what it means to make a difference for the kingdom of God in this world. Why do I think this is important? Uh, your generation is searching. Your generation specifically, more than other generations before you, and you see this on Facebook a lot, you're searching for these extraordinary, radical, life-changing experiences, which, by the way, are good, and those happen, and they're great. But guess what? You know where you find extraordinary, radical, life-altering experiences? By simply saying, Lord, how can I be faithful with where you've put me gifts that you've given me. How can I be faithful to those things, to your calling in my life? My calling might be to simply manage a gas station well for the rest of my life and treat my customers with respect and honor and dignity and do my job to the best of my ability. And you know what? That's extraordinary and faithful and good. And by saying, Lord, I want to be faithful to the gifts and the desires and the excitement that you give me to do this thing. If I can be faithful to that and put all of me into this thing that you gifted me to be. I, again, going back to my wife, Caroline, she gives all of who she is to being an engineer. She wants to be the best engineer she can possibly be. And you know what? That is glorifying to God. That, looking for the, the, the radical, amazing, dramatic, historic event that we can take pictures of it, and put it all over Facebook so people can see how cool and extraordinary and radical we are. That's not what the gospel calling is about. The gospel calling is about saying, what has God called me to? And let me do that with all, every fiber of my being. There's a pressure on social media to say, look at me, I'm in Africa. Look at me, look at all these people that I'm helping. Look at these things, look at all these amazing places that I'm going. I'm a missionary, isn't that incredible? And by the way, guys, it is incredible to be a missionary. And it is incredible to go to Africa. And I'm not undermining any of those things. We need people in those places. And God has called some people but they're not more spiritual or extraordinary than any other, what we would see, normal or everyday calling that God might be bringing to you. So my application for this, guys, is if you have the pressure of saying, I've got to go be a missionary, because that's this extraordinary thing. I've got to go be a pastor. I've got to be in a foreign country. I have to be in ministry to do something extraordinary. False. False. Ask yourselves, what has God gifted has he made, given me a math brain? Has he given me a visionary artistic brain? What am I passionate about? What has God gifted me with? What are my gifts? What are my abilities? What am I great at? And what am I excited about? What am I passionate about? What do I want to do? And take those things and take prayer and his word and the guidance of others and allow that to shape your individual calling for what God is calling you into this life-shaping, earth-transforming, world-renewing, kingdom-in-breaking mission that God has in all the world faithful to what he's called you to do.
Last one. Um, again, I, 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 it's, it's hard to show it because some of you look up here and be like, duh, this is boring. But this is not boring. It isn't. The general great grand calling of obedience that God has called us to is to follow Jesus and abide in him. This word abide, another way of looking at this word is the word remain. Follow Christ and remain. Remain. Drop your roots into Jesus and remain in him. Find your most deepest dependence in him. How do we see this? Mark 1, the calling of the disciples, passing along down the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, some of the apostles, the brothers of Simon, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. They're fishermen. They're doing their job. They're doing their calling. They're fishing. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And you know what they did? Immediately, they left their nets, they dropped what they were doing, and they followed him. Galatians 2.20 uh, says this. It's a famous verse. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. What did these men do? What is Paul urging us to do? To give up, remember that, that story I started with, to give up that head down, self-centered, what am I supposed to be doing, what can I do right, self-sustaining life of trusting in and, and being guided by the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of yourself, and instead, by God's grace, surrender to his calling Follow, to listen to, to remain in, to abide in, and obey him. Why did they follow him? We're almost done. We're getting to the end here, guys, so hang with me. Why did they follow him? Why did they trust him? Because above all, and I want you to get this, above all, his presence, okay, the presence of of Jesus, simply being with him, simply knowing that he lives in them, brought glory and brought purpose and brought joy. They believed that their deepest longings in life, they believed that their deepest needs, they believed that their deepest joys would only be satisfied in this person, Jesus. And so they left their nets to follow him. How do I want to put this to you? You will not, you will not lay down your idols and follow Jesus unless you hear his call as a call to relationship and to joy and to love and to purpose. And you're convinced that your deepest purpose, your deepest joy, your deepest satisfaction, your deepest longings will be satisfied in him and not in yourself. That's why this general calling of following Jesus and abiding in him is so important. Because it's actually really hard to convince himself. His presence and glory was their most important call. Why? Because Jesus is the greatest, remember, source of purpose and joy. And the way that I wrote it, guys, I hate to just read this, but it's, this is how it came to me. Drawing near to him and abiding in Jesus is the most rewarding and fulfilling and identity-giving thing that you could ever seek. And not only that, it's not just about you. Remember, it's about God and his glory and his mission and his purpose in all the world, in all the kingdom, in all of his kingdom. John 15, my favorite passage. I'm talking about tattoos in my arm. I also have a tattoo of a tree. Um, it seems weird, but it's true. Uh, and the reason I do is because Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches and you must abide in me. And you know what? I stink at abiding in Jesus. And I need a reminder every day in John 15 that I must abide, I must remain, I must drop my roots into this Jesus because it's about him and it's not about me. It's about what he's doing in the world and it's not about my own. And any fruit, any list, any, any tool of obedience that I want to go home and do, I have to do only in remaining and abiding in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Do you want to bear fruit when you go home, folks? Abide in the Lord. Abide in Jesus. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to put a, 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 a bumper sticker on this whole series. That's it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You want to know? 
the general call and the individual call and the commandment call to Jesus to obedience is about him and it's not about you looking like a good Christian. It's about his mission and it's not about what you hope your life looks like on Facebook. It's about his glory and not about you being the most spiritual person at YXL. He goes on to say this. As a father, this is why it's, 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 it's joy. This is why this is joy. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? He says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. How do we obey? How do we actually obey, guys? It's by abiding in the wonderful, amazing love of Jesus that was shown on the cross and in his resurrection for us. Drawing near to and abiding in him is rewarding. Here's the deal, guys. You want a list this week? This is the only list I'm going to give you. You want a list this week? Here's your list. Follow Jesus, and that list is going to be written on your heart. That's where that list is going to show up. Because your heart will finally, when we abide in Christ, will be connected to the love of Jesus, and we'll understand it, and we'll get it, and we'll desire it, and we'll want it. And from that, this fruit of obedience we've been talking about will come. Not from us the love of Christ that's abiding in our own heart in his grace. Abide in Christ and abide in the love of Christ. I, um, okay, I'm, I'm about done. Just a short story. Um, I spent a year in China to, to add some just comedic relief. Here's a picture of me riding an elephant. Um, uh, when I went to China, I went over with the hopes that I was doing this amazing, wonderful, dramatic, radical, powerful, high spiritual calling in the world. And I was really disappointed. <laughs> uh, I was there to share the gospel with, with the college kids. But at the end of the year, I, I delighted. And I loved being that year in China. But here's why. It wasn't for what I thought it was. It wasn't because I was being a missionary. It wasn't that. It was because for that short year, I believe that I heard a call from, to Christ for that year to, to go and be a part of China and be a part of what he was doing in that part of the world. And, and, and my joy, guys, my, 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 my joy came from not, I'm overseas, it's so neat, I'm not in St. Louis, I'm overseas, I'm in China, look at the Great Wall of China, selfie, okay. that's not where my joy came from over there. My joy wasn't because this was a radical thing. People thought it was this amazing, incredible thing. It was because while I was in China, I, I was simply sitting and watching the Lord and his mission and his work and his spirit move. And I was just simply showing up and being a part of it. I was just sit back and watch the Holy Spirit. I was watching God move in powerful, amazing ways in these college kids in China. And where did my joy come from? It wasn't over, I get to be a missionary in China. It was that I was just simply for that year of my life, I listened to this call of Jesus. I said, go to China, tell me, for a year. And I simply got to watch him. I could have been in Kazakhstan. I could have been in Australia. I could have been in Springfield, Illinois. And my joy would have come from saying, right now I have the privilege and joy to be a part of what God is doing in his mission. Guys, that's what we want. That's what we want to listen to, his call to be a part of his mission and his work. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Um, just thank you for being a good God. Um, thank you for having a mission that we often miss, forget, or just simply say we think that there's better things to be a part of. Um, just thank you that you've gifted every single person in this room whether in there in this room right now, and they feel like they're the most pathetic, overlooked, ungifted person in the world. You fearfully and wonderfully made them. And you made them with a purpose and a reason and with joy. And you delight, you delight in every single one of your creations. And you have an amazing, wonderful call to us. Jesus, Help us to be overwhelmed and drowned in the amazingness of your grace and glory and your kingdom and your kingdom coming to this world and your mission to transform this world. And thank you that even us in our humble giftings and passions, you've called us to be a part of it. 
Help us to be obedient to that call, Jesus. Help us to be obedient to your grace. For this in your name, Christ, amen. amen. Um, we're going to stay here. I'm going to have Joel. We have Joel's coming on, uh, coming on down to lead us in prayer.